Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Dave Shields. We are back again after another break. We got to stop taking breaks, Dave. Listen, you can blame me for this one, but this was uh, a scheduled thing quite far in advance for me. Yeah, and it was uh, like not as far in advance scheduled for me, I think. But also, I certainly could have played around it, and I just chose not to, kind of. So there's that. I tried to get you to, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, so it's it's tough because I'm I'm in a situation right where we're trying to set up who a replacement would be, and not going to try and throw shade on this person because that's not my intention. But it's it's one of those things where I feel like they're not super hyped about doing it. Therefore, I'm not going to make them do it. And I don't know if that's actually the case or not. Yeah, I would say not the case. But that was just kind of the vibe I was getting. So I was like, all right, we just won't do it. That's that's fine, you know? All right, so I need to push harder next time to make that more clear then. But... I See, that I, I don't think that that is going to help. Like, it needs to be organic, authentic, from the person and I'm not trying to blame the person, but like they just seemed like they're not about it. You know? Oh, I more mean, yeah, to you, not to that person. Right. But if you're like, no, they really want to do it. It's like, well, I'm not going to believe you about what their feelings are. Fair. Fair. You know? Yeah. That's what I'm it. saying. It, it's intimidating, you know, not everybody's going to be as transparent with that stuff, but we don't say what we're actually thinking enough. I agree. and I, But it's, it's not even like, you need to tell me how excited you are, but it's like, if I sense some apprehension, okay, like that, that's it. I'm not going to make you do it. You know? Yeah. See, and like, this is where you and I differ a little bit, but I'm a pretty big believer of like, a lot of us need a little bit of a push to do the things we want to do, but are nervous about. And that's what like good friends are for, but like being close to somebody and knowing when that that's the situation and not just them not actually wanting to do it are different things. <laughs> So we, we agree that it's like, okay, I sense some nerves here. And I think the disagreement is, I don't know that it would be good for them to do it. Oh, fair. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm like, you know, I want to get outside your comfort zone and try new things. You, you need a little bit of encouragement sometimes, you know? Yeah. I, and I definitely agree with that. But I don't want to force people to do things that they don't want to do because they know it's going to be bad for them. You know? It's fair. So anyway, we took a week off. Uh, you went to Disneyland? Disney World. Disney World. F- family vacation. And man, a week in Disney feels like the Matrix. It's like a different world there. Um, yeah. Fun trip. I, You know, Disney with a three and a half year old is like amazingly fun, um, but also exhausting. And I feel like I need a vacation after. Yeah. And you're... Not really getting that. <laughs> you get no. to leave, I guess, for another work thing. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm away again this week for work, which is also just a, a little bit of a drag being back to back. But that's just sometimes how it breaks. Um, Disney's hilarious, right? Ten of us went, one one kid and nine adults. So it was just nine adults fighting for a three year old attention at Disney for a week, which was you know somewhat entertaining to watch as you saw that break out. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it means that you don't necessarily have to be. Like a hundred percent attentive at all times, right? Or maybe some, maybe the opposite, because you know the adults get very excited and they just oh, take your no. kid and disappear, and you're like, you know, 
I have a yeah. pregnant wife who's panic and anxiety induced. So it, I'm not going to say it actually helped. The The ideal number is probably a, a, a smaller ratio than that. Yeah, that's fair. But it was very enjoyable and fun to watch. Just like, you know, siblings and parents enjoying the company of, you know, the little one. And yeah, it was fun. How much did Leo like it? Oh, he had the absolute time of his life, which is what makes it so fun. Because watching him just like get uncontrollably excited about things is just like the best feeling in the entire world. And it just happened on repeat. Yeah, that rules. Yeah. So how, how do you feel about the fact that he probably won't remember any of this? <laughs> I, I I think that's fine, right? I think that like he'll remember that he had a happy childhood and the, that in and of itself is enough. But also like a lot of this is for us, right? The amount of growth and like experiencing new things and exposure that he got to like different things was just like significant. And sure. his vocabulary jumped up over the week to a point that it was like noticeable for mom and I. Um and yeah, I think just overall experiences like that are like what helped build you, even if you don't directly remember them. Yeah, that's cool. I guess I never even really thought about it like that, but certainly I can think of instances in my childhood that like may have affected that in me. Like that, that same sort of, you know, like vocab growth or whatever. Yeah. And like not everything that you remember in your conscious memory like is about about who you are. Like those things are two separate things, but they're both being built out for like a young person, right? So yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, okay. So things we missed. First of all, I'm going to ambush you uh, with these uh, pioneer RCs. Oh, that's exciting. Did, did you look at these at all? Uh, not, I did not watch them as much as I should. I saw the Frank Karsten post with the metagame breakdown and winning percentages, but that is the extent of my awareness. Oh, okay, I didn't even look at that. I, I watched some of the coverage of the one in Lil and looked at a lot of the deck lists from there. Uh, I think it was just like easier to find than the Canadian one, but whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Listen, You're, finding magic coverage results is hard enough. And then the RCs all being distributed and federated only adds to that. Yeah, agreed. But. So my my first thought is like looking at, you know, starting from the top eight and kind of going down from there is just like, man, Euro Europeans just do it different, right? Because there is just not a lot of Nykthos uh, whatsoever in like the top 100 decks and then you look at the metagame percentage and it was still like 10% of the metagame it just got its ass kicked green got rinsed yeah so uh you know lotus field good got some enigmatic fires some rona some grease fangs some some i'm gonna mess you up decks and then definitely a resurgence of is it phoenix uh with sleight of hand and i know that there was like some twitter hype around you know some people five own leagues with it and whatnot so cool yeah i wonder like green getting beat up and then you know lotus and fires doing well are probably somewhat related right yeah no i mean uh, a lot of these decks are definitely decks that are not great matchups for green so yeah it do you think that slate of hand is actually enough of an upgrade that took phoenix to like a different level and it went or do you think it's just like people remembered it existed and it was a slight upgrade. I think it's a pretty big upgrade, but I it certainly doesn't do much in the way of solving 
the specific problems that Phoenix had, but it does make it like a little bit faster, a little bit more consistent. And there are instances where certainly on turn three, it can be a struggle sometimes to play three spells to actually return your Phoenixes or, or whatever. And yeah. even, even in like the later portions of the game, but like now you have, a much higher density of being able to like chain cantrips together. And like now that you have more sleight of hands and then there's uh, the, the fairy from the new set that is doing like strategic planning type of things. It's like, Oh, you can build like these, these leaner Phoenix decks. If you want to, uh, you're seeing less temporal trespass. Folks are still on pieces of the puzzle for the most part, which may or may not be wrong at this point, you know, especially if you're moving away from trespass. So I think there's a lot of work to be done there still. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the similar dynamic in modern with preordain where like you see a jump in the blue red decks getting played and doing well. And I think some of that's because they got these small upgrades, but I think more of it's just good people that played it a lot in the past and got bored with it or moved on to other archetypes kind of come back and revisit them yeah no i definitely agree with that and i I think that phoenix was already one of those decks where it's like is this as bad as people think it is because at one point it was like the deck in pioneer and then it just got crushed for like week after week after week and then you know if the deck no longer has any champions people no longer have lists to copy from and it just becomes like 0% metagame share, you know? Yeah, which is crazy. And it, like, I would think as the shift from red-black mid-range to red-black red black sacrifice happens, like Phoenix in theory on paper at least should be one of the biggest winners from that. It is, although I will say that Rectos mid was still uh, almost like a two to one in metagame share compared to Raxac. Well, that's surprising. Even, even though Raxac is... Uh, the one that is comprising like the winner's metagame, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So, I, anyway, uh, I don't want to harp on Pioneer too much. I've I've been dabbling. Uh, I hate it. I think leading up to Atlanta, we will probably talk a little bit more about it because I will be LCQing. I'm locked into going. I spent like a a thousand dollars booking an airbnb or whatever and people are relying on me to be there to like let them in probably so i love it so that's the key to get you to peer pressure you into just locking in an event uh it's not bad yeah Yeah. i mean i as long as i feel beholden to someone that is probably the best way to get me anywhere yeah got it okay we're gonna copy paste this strategy in the future I will I will never do anything for myself, but I will certainly go out of my way to do things for people who I even like just a little bit. So I love it. We're gonna tap into that. We can get both. Yeah, I mean ideally not putting myself in that position a ton. Yeah. Uh I, I think fun. I I think I did that a lot historically, and then I tried to wean myself off of that a little bit. So Yeah, it's satisfying to do, but finding the right balance of not overburdening yourself is difficult yeah i was like I'm, I'm definitely doing this too much so that leaves us with a couple other formats standard and modern we're not going to talk about historic whatsoever oh I do my not god care. i don't care no so standard or modern buddy which one do you want to do first i guess we can do standard because it'll probably be faster all right so you had today to play some magic i sent you a couple deck lists and 
uh, basically without any explanation or rationale. You're just like your standard deck sucks. So I, I just said it wasn't for me. I didn't criticize the deck. <laughs> um, and what I didn't tell you is on vacation, I did not bring a laptop, but I did bring an iPad. And I did spend a day at the pool with the fam playing some arena on my phone and I was playing as much standard as I could. Okay, but what list of this this Golgari mid-range deck were you playing? I was not playing Golgari. <laughs> I did not play any games with Golgari. <laughs> okay, then how are you going to say that the, the deck is bad or whatever? I, I just said at first glance it wasn't for me. Yeah, that That's what I said at first too. And then I played yeah. with everything else and I was like, oh, these aren't really doing it for me. And then I fixed the problems that the Golgari deck had. And now I like it quite a bit. All right. I, and I will dabble. Listen, like I'm not opposed to, to trying it. It's just, especially like on the iPad, like I really like, I end up just like tweaking and tuning the decks that I already have. So my whole, I'll give you my whole arc and standard over the course of the last 10 days. I, I started with Esper Legends because that's where I left off when I le- came, was, you know, playing standard for the last time for the last RC. I enjoyed Esper Legends in the past a lot more than it was actually good. So I expected to just like, oh, it won the tournament. Great. I didn't love it. I moved to the Esper list that the Esper midrange list, and I quite enjoyed that and wanted to like it a lot more than I was actually winning with it. And I felt like I both was in this weird spot where decks were both going under me and over me at the same time. And I hate that dilemma and dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that's midrange problems, right? Like you fix that in sideboarding, ideally. Yep. Yep. And like, and to be fair, like in the interest of just like trying to learn the format and the decks, I'm playing a lot of best of ones, especially because like at the pool, I never know when I'm just going to get roped away. So like shorter matches are better. Of course. Um, But and probably won't exist as much, but especially, yeah, only game ones, no sideboarding, hand smoothers, all of those things push you to the other opposite extremes. And then I played a bunch of games of ramp and I'm, that's where I was actually found myself enjoying myself and i'm not really sure how to rationalize that other than just like when i was playing the games i was having more fun yeah i mean it's doing more powerful stuff than the other stuff and i i think that like end game of this format might have ramp be on top but it's it needs to it needs to change like 10 cards and i don't know what those cards are and initially that that's where i started too is like ramp looked the most appealing and also after playing you know five games with every deck or whatever it certainly felt the most appealing yeah and i think the other thing is so we're we're traveling to dallas in two weeks to play a double header standard modern hell yeah and let's get it that yeah and like listen like i don't usually how i've approached going way back to the star city events and again you have way more experience with this than me but i would sporadically go to these things and i would usually try to focus on one of the two formats i would pick a comfort pick in the other and then focus on the other one because i found myself i'm splitting my time trying to do two new things at the same time like i'm just too old for that spoken like a man with responsibilities fair or excuses they can be excuses too yeah i mean that that was that was never me Really, but also, I, I like th- this is the stuff that I would do for fun, right? Like this, this was my first choice. Like, not definitely not my second choice or my third choice. You know? So, yeah. Well, you're one of the few people that's trying to win both the tournaments pretty aggressively when you go to these things. Yeah. Uh. But I, I will say that I, I was never 
trying that hard to the point where like I was playing good decks all the time, right? Like it it was often like I add an extraneous color to my Cobblade deck and then I play some like bug nonsense in Legacy. And then sometimes it ends up with me like winning both tournaments, you know? But like realistically, should that have been what I was doing if I was trying to win both events? Probably not. Yeah, winning is not the only goal, right? You're not you're not picking your deck as if it were a pro tour or like, you know, playing for the fate of the universe. Trying to acquire some some new Twitter followers, you know? Yeah. At least at least back then. It went well. It worked it worked well. It did. Dude, yeah. I remember I remember having like seven thousand and just being like blown away by that number. Yeah. Well, regardless, I like I said, I enjoyed both the Esper decks enough, but I was like, I didn't want to get caught in this pulled in both directions dilemma. And I I, I kind of wrote off Black Green a little bit from that. Um, after watching, it was on coverage quite a bit during Worlds and it never really, like, it won a bunch, but it seemed like all the times it was winning is when it was more their, you know, your opponent kind of getting tripped up a little bit and you just punishing that well. Hell yeah. Um, and hey, m- maybe that's the appealing part of it. But I will commit to you that on my work trip this week, I am bringing my iPod again and planning on playing some arena at night. So I will play some games with your Golgari deck. I, so Golgari and Esper have a lot of the same issues, especially when you're talking about the arena infrastructure where it's like, do I play, you know, best of one, best of three or whatever. Uh, I, after I initially went through Golgari and fixed some of the issues, which is, basically removing a lot of like the bad cards that they were playing. Um, like the, the rares from the new set that are kind of like draft filler, <laughs> you know, like cut those cards, play good cards. Like say, I don't know the fourth copy of Glissa, which is the best card in the deck. Not close. Uh, you know, things like that. Uh, you, you start to do a lot better in best of one. Like I started by being like, okay, mono reds impossible. And then it was just like, Oh, I'm winning a lot more than I'm losing in, in best of one. And then certainly now where I'm like playing best of threes because I am trying to prepare for this. Also, uh, you mentioned Dallas was a double header. It's actually a triple header for me because there's the arena qualifier that weekend too. Well, big news. So and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be playing that on my phone. Is and rounds. I'll be right there with you. Is that arena qualifier limited? No, it's standard. Oh, okay. So we're double dipping standard. Yeah, and, and the the qualifiers start this weekend, and then there will be, I think, another one like the the Friday LCQ. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So we'll use that as a way to prep, and I I, I always do the same. Um, try to be that one out of you know ten thousand that actually wins that thing on the second day. But yeah, but uh, best of three for Golgari feels pretty good. Um, I I think that like Esper. When you have a, a couple wheels in motion is doing more powerful things, but individually the Golgari cards are much stronger. Yeah, like Denik and Rafine still feels awesome, right? And the virtue of loyalty seems to be a fantastic card that I both quite enjoy and appears to be very powerful. Um, but it yes, Burdek just felt so fragile to me. Like the amount of times it was just turn three and I felt like I couldn't win. Yep. Was way too high. 
Yeah. Whereas Golgari actually has reasonable comeback mechanisms. You know, you have a bunch of cheap interaction and removal and still, you know, stuff like Shieldred in, in big numbers and like Grand of the Esper decks have those too. But yeah, uh, yeah just like, just, man, I'm on the draw and I didn't play a card on turn two. I guess I'm dead. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that is actually kind of standard in a nutshell, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say like the deck. Uh, th- there's quite a wide range of different types of decks that all appear to be reasonably competitive choices as far as like you could reasonably win a tournament with a bunch of different ramp decks, control decks, aggro decks, mid-range decks. There's a lot of variations there. Um, and the gameplay, like it feels almost like Pioneer where like a third of my games feel super interesting and like I made a lot of decisions. I don't know how impactful they were, but there were a lot of interesting spots. Um, but man, there's a lot of games that where you're just like, I'm dead. You should yeah. get run over. No, I, I I agree with that because so many of these decks. I mean, like granted, this is because they've they've banned a lot of the the outlier cards, and now the only things that are left are like, you know, two and three mana creatures that give you a card sometimes in weird scenarios, and then like two mana removal, and like that's just kind of what all the decks are. Yeah, <laughs> it's surprising exactly what all the decks are. Is it? It's just like they're all like go for the throats, make disappears, like grizzly bears, and like some three drop where if it like connects with your opponent, you win the game. Yeah, but if they have the answer that lines up with it, you're going to get tempoed out of it. Yeah, probably, especially if the answer is like one mana. You know. Yeah, this is like my shieldred rant of like that card is one an obnoxious amount of tournaments, and just it, it is in every deck in every format, and. I, I hate the shielded track of you have this weird decision on turn four where maybe you're a little bit behind and you have a shielded. And if you play it and they don't have an answer, you're way ahead. And if you play it and they kill it, you immediately die. And you yep. have to figure out, do you want to try to play the game without that? Or do you want to just like, it, it's like shoving all in in poker, right? You just like, you know, you know, they have four go for the throats in their deck. You just go for the throat, check them. And if yeah. they have it, you're dead. Ooh. I guess I, I missed, I'm like just kind of bouncing around on Goldfish, and I guess I missed one of these standard challenges, but I see that Papa Willie top-aided with green-black, not even playing ramp anymore. Whoa. Let's go. Oh, yeah, he's playing his beloved Tranquil Furlbacks in green-black now. Hmm. Yeah, this is the one Logan also top four i think with ramp and that was a slightly different list of ramp that i was playing with as well where he only had two invasions okay but we're bouncing all over the place yeah we are all right tell me about your black green list versus willie's versus the list that um anthony lee and the likes played in the pro tour okay so i like four mosswood dread knight weird uh, I think it is a very strange scenario for you to adventure that thing on turn two. And it is very often the thing that you cast turn two, uh, just as a three, two trampler over anything else. It is your, yeah. your best card to play on turn two. Past that, you want more things to play on turn two. And I think Tenacious Underdog is fine. So I have two of those. The third copy is kind of extraneous, so I was looking for something else. I tried, like, Razorlash Transmogrant. Uh, some folks 
you know, like the, the PT players had like the one Bramble familiar or whatever. And it's like, okay, whatever. Uh, Willie's list has an iron crag. Okay. I, I, I could see that. That's fine. I guess I'm playing an outland liberator right now. It's fine. It's not incredible or anything, but I think that underdog has diminishing returns. And then, uh, so, like you could even play like an uh an eighth two drop if you wanted to whatever, and then for threes for Glissa, Willie is only playing three, um, yeah it's it's technically legendary I get it I don't care, it's it's the one that I want to you know it's like if Mosswood Dread Knight was legendary or whatever you'd still play four right yeah you don't see people playing three or fiend yeah exactly yeah no exactly dude perfect I think. When when you when that list like started, maybe they were playing three Rafine. But then it was like, oh no, 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 no. we play four. Yeah, that's play what f- that that's what Glissa is. Yeah, you play four, and I think you might play six or seven if you were allowed to. I'll play a lot. So yeah. my threes right now are four Glissa, two Lord Skitter. And I'm um, looking at this Willie list. He has seven three drops, which is three Glissa, two Graveyard Trespasser, two Lord Skitter. I think that Skitter is better than Trespasser. It's it's kind of close, but Skitter making multiple threats, I think, is a little bit more impactful, especially if we're talking about a world where like maybe Green Black is good and people are playing Liliana's and stuff, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. What Willie also has the one uh, mana rock in the two drop slot. Yeah, the Iron Craig. I mean, the Iron Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess kind of makes sense if you're going to go all in on the fours like they all continue to. Blossoming Tortoise. Is this a card we we like? Well, we'll get there. Okay. So I guess I have an extra Liliana to Willie. So uh, we have the same amount of three, like proactive three drops effectively. Right. And then, yeah, four drops. Three Blossoming Tortoise, three Shieldred. Tortoise is, like, stat line, not great. And it's honestly kind of weird to have, like, a Tortoise instead of fourth Shieldred, considering if you jam them on four, like, what is the impact? Like, obviously, Tortoise is better against spot removal decks and whatnot. But, like, Tortoise in general is actually just very good and, like, you are pretty likely to hit with 26 land. Your mid to end game largely consists of activating creature lands. And if the tortoise sticks around, it's it's just going to get kind of out of control where you're just going to be like ramping a bunch and, you know, maybe flipping over like some underdogs and stuff like that. And also the ability to make your creature lands cost one less is like pretty understated, honestly. Yeah, I think when it goes unchecked, it's similar. Uh, like, on the surface, the thing that always catches me off guard, the, c- moving to the fourth shieldred and two tortoise is, like, on paper, one of the first reactions I would have. But I think the only thing... Tortoise can get answered and brickwalled by creatures, right? So assuming you're able to actually attack with it, um, I, I can see it keeping up in spots like that. Yeah. But if you have a tortoise and your opponent has a shieldred and both of them go unanswered, I know what side of that I want to be on. Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, you can look at scenarios where your tortoise gets you a land and then maybe you even like suicide the tortoise 
to get another land and then you just cast the adventure side of virtue of persistence or whatever and like maybe they don't block because of things like virtue of persistence who knows but tortoise both playing into like your creature land stuff but also like the backside of virtue i think is pretty powerful and then the ramp matchup is kind of tough overall and this was the storyline throughout the pro tour was like oh the ramp matchup's so bad whatever uh, my plan against that is to ramp against them and then have some sideboard seven drops like breach the multiverse. So Tortoise plays into that as well. Oh, that's so, exciting. So Tortoise, like three Tortoise, three Shieldred makes sense to me, even though it is kind of weird. Yeah. I So keep going on the breach plan. I have Okay. So I used to have... One Ran and Seven, one Breach main deck. I've honestly not played against that many ramp decks. I now have both Breaches in the sideboard, but I have one Ren main, one in the board, two Breaches in the board. And basically your plan against them is to play like two drop, three drop, and then just pressure with those for the most part. Hopefully play out things like Liliana or or creatures like the Tortoise where if this does get caught up in a sweeper, well, at least I, like, you know, accomplish something with my life, right? But ideally, you're you're not just, like, holding three creatures and saying go a bunch because you do want to force them to, like, sweep you whenever they have the, the first opportunity to do so, you know? And then you can just, like, reload, get swept again, whatever. You're getting in some chip shots, you're making your land drops along with them making their land drops, and then you start playing like the actual game, which is you have to stop them from gaining any amount of traction. So like, don't let them like connect Stomper onto the invasion. Don't let them hit you with like an angel a bunch. Certainly don't let them have an Atraxa lying around. Like your go for the throats are actually pretty valuable and you, you want all of them in your deck after sideboarding. But you make it so they're not pressuring you and then you just start casting your seven drops. You start playing like the backside of Virtue, make them answer that. You play Breach the Multiverse. They may or may not side in counter magic against you. That's fine. Like you're you're going to have some amount of addresses. I don't like all four necessarily against them, especially on the play, but you know, you have like two or three to be able to like punch through a counter spell maybe. And as long as you're stopping them from keeping a threat in play, they can't really do much, honestly. Yeah, that doesn't. That's actually somewhat similar to my experiences on the ramp side, and I've played far more against Esper mid range than Black Green, but I've been surprised at their ability to keep up. And I still was winning, but I was not going as far over the top of them as I anticipated. Yeah, and I'm you can, but a lot of it involves Atraxa, right? And they're just like, oh well, now I just have like a ton of pieces of cardboard to throw at them. And this this plan, admittedly, does not work very well if they are very heavily invested in, in beanstalks and are able to, like, trigger that repeatedly. But that's actually pretty difficult to do. And I don't think that people, you know, they'll have, like, one or two copies, you know, but that's about it. Yeah, I think after board, they're probably, I would assume they're going to be up to three in the three to four range. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I like a lot of the things that are happening here, and it's certainly something that I will commit to you to trying. Um, at this point, I know I'm not going to play Esper. Okay. 
So in, in terms of like actually sideboarding against them, I was talking to, to Joe about this today. It's like, uh, don't, don't want cut downs. Um, want about like two virtues because it doesn't necessarily kill anything against them, but you do want the backside against it of it to cast against them. Yeah. Just seven mana cards are good. And then, uh, like skitter is kind of mid, especially since you don't need like a ton of actual creature threats. Cause you're not trying to like overcommit against them necessarily. So you have, you have like, I don't know, six ish cards to take out. And then, Maybe you bring in like one or two duress, like a Terra Sunder, uh, a Ren, two breaches, and then I'm gonna have like one or two Rankles pranks in my sideboard, which is another reasonable way. Like if they sweep you and then like play a threat, this is a good way to like maybe get like their last two cards and like barter and blood them when your your board is empty and everything. So I think that that's fine, and that's mostly been my plan. And that's gonna change like a little bit player draw too, like prank. Prank and duress are not as good on the play. Like you just generally want more proactive things when you're on the play. Yeah. Prank is mind rot drain them for four. Uh or so it's two BB sorcery. Uh choose any number. Each player sacrifices two creatures. Each player discards two cards. Each player loses four life. Interesting. So yeah, you can either mind rot both of you. Uh, you know, you can make you each sack two creatures. Or occasionally you can actually just use this to finish them off if they like kind of stabilize too, which has yeah. come up. So, uh, other thing I before. other thing I like about uh, Lord Skitter in terms of like making an extra body is I'm I'm trying out sort of once in future in the sideboard, and it seems like it could be really good in theory, but it could also just be really bad. So. We're, we're reading that one, too. We will see. This is the protection from blue and black sword. So good against Esper, good against mirror matches. Not crazy. All right, I'm in. I'll try it out. Do you see Are you? Do you do see yourself exploring things past black green at this point, or are you pretty uh, honed in? No, I'm, I'm definitely going to be down to explore different things, and especially if you want to play uh, qualifiers this weekend and, like, I bird a little bit. Maybe we get some experience and, you know, it looks like things are going really poorly on this front. Uh, I've seen some movement on the soldiers front where the Takesha's welcomes are starting to creep into the main deck and we're just like fully becoming this creature value combo deck, which I do like. The variations on all the blue white soldiers decks are awesome. And on the other side of them, it makes it incredibly frustrating to play against because you never know where they actually are. Yeah, but I think you know how you're going to lose the game no matter what. Oh, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, at least in the early stages of me playing games where I'm just like throwing my cards at them kind of at random, just like learning. Um, my situations are probably a lot more frustrating and different than reality once we get a little bit more strategic with how we play our cards. I'm going to send you this list from a league. It just looked pretty clean and basically what I wanted to be doing. Although, uh, no, I don't. Okay. I'm kind of off this actually, as long as you cut the frontliners for the, the Luminarch guy. 
fair. Because and if like, you do that, you're pretty close to where Simon was. Yeah, except you have the the Welcomes main deck. Yeah, you basically took Simon's deck and put, moved two of the Takesha's Welcomes to the main deck, and you do not have wedding announcement at all. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Interesting. I always, I, I don't know if I could ever swallow it to um, play a deck that does not have an answer to a Shieldred. Just, it's tough. Well, you do. It's it's the Luminarch guy. Oh, sure. You're just going to grind it out. Yeah, you just you just gain a bunch of life and you don't care anymore. Like, okay. Shieldred only matters because you have a finite amount of life, you know? Yep. Yep, and at that point you're going wide enough that you think you can, and that, and then the Harbin what becomes super important. You're basically just like Harbin comboing them. Yeah, kind of. And I think that like you know being able to know where the sweepers are in the format, which seems pretty predictable at this point, like makes that like a much more reasonable strategy. Yeah, and this deck has two additional pieces of stack interaction and spell pierce. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, you could always play like a random Werefox dude if if you want to be extra cowardly, which is fine. Yeah, I think the better solution to my anxieties is probably to just avoid strategies like this. Yeah, probably. I mean, we're we're talking about like Esper being the the house of cards, you know, like this is even more so. But I will say that this is the type of thing with green black where it's like if your opponent has, you know, five creatures in play on turn 3, you are just reaching for your sideboard as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, super polarizing. And some of these like mono red and soldiers decks being good, as well as ramp being good on like wildly opposite ends of the spectrum um, does make things feel a little rocks, paper, scissorsy in the game, especially in the game ones. Yeah, but. it does. And I, I, you know, if, if the only qualifier this weekend is best of one, I would probably say just play ramp. Yeah, just play ramp and like almost like I think that's at the, at that point you're almost like at the Jabberwocky version, which is like, you know, shaving some of the battles to go up to like six Wraths main deck. And you're just like pre-boarding for a lot of the aggro matchups. Yeah, I don't know about that, though. I mean, not playing all four invasions felt so bad in the mirrors, like just like the best card. But. If you're, you know, having he has four sunfall and two to populate. So like having the extra wraths against especially the blue white decks, I think is pretty important. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's even good against green black, too. Yeah, certainly, no, I think they're just like generically good. Certainly good against mono red. Yeah, Depop is nice. Um, I kind of just forgot it existed, honestly, because I, I could see even if you're playing like the normal list where you're like, oh, I only want to play like three or four sweepers. It's like, well, I'd probably just play one Depop and then the rest on falls, you know, but like don't want to just be locked into my, my sweeper is always going to cost five, even though Sunfall is like the most powerful one. Yeah. Especially when you're like playing against these decks that like are winning by having a counter spell up on the key turn that mm. having the key turn be really predictable for them makes it way too easy. I guess, I guess if you're beating, then there's more of an excuse for Sunfall, but that's, just kind of masturbatory at that point too where it's just like you know if the sweeper is the most important thing you really need to be drawing a card off it you know so you just need to like 
cast this before you die. And I think yeah. Depop helps that a little bit. Their creatures need to die. That's really the key. Uh, but the incentive on like life gain in the ramp deck has been super nice and appealing and not something that I expected, right? All, all the virtues seem awesome. Oh, yeah, no, they have a lot. It, herd migration, virtue, and like both the angels. It's just like, the, that is the reason that Model Red got beat up at the PT, you know, is like, Virtue persistence is a big part of it for sure, but like the ramp deck should be like easy pickings for mono red, and it just it just isn't. Yeah, it's incredibly rare to have a mana base where it's just not even possible to deal yourself a damage. So like I'm used to playing control and starting at 17 or 15, and instead here we're starting at 25. Yeah, yeah, it's way different. It actually gives you time to do all this nonsense. Yeah. It's like, yeah, these are not even like, you know, historically good ramp cards by like standard metrics, you know? Yeah, on paper, like it looks like this deck should have no chance against the aggro decks, but that's not how Sunfall helps a lot too. That card is just really good. It is good, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there, there's also just like a lot of good sideboard cards too, like Lantern Flare, Knockout Blow, stuff like that. It's like, there's a lot of anti-red stuff in this format. Yeah, so... Uh, on the whole, I'm actually like enjoying playing games of standard and like at least some of the deck building decisions seem really interesting and fun to think about. I wish there was a reason to think about them, but we'll get there. Um, I'm not actually convinced the format's going to be great if everybody starts playing it a ton. Um, like once a lot of these things get figured out, how enjoyable will it be when it's like this rocks, paper, scissory, mid-range, ramp, aggro conundrum? But um, if the aggro decks are not even beating ramp, maybe that's not true. Yeah, I wish I wish there's more sideways stuff to do in this format, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that enabled that kind of cool stuff got banned. So, yeah, it's it's probably for the best. So let me ask you this. After playing a bunch of standard, if I told you there was going to be a reason for us to be playing standard for the next three months, iteratively with a bunch of tournaments and other people working on it, would you be excited about that? Do you think the format would be able to handle that? I mean, it would, uh, and no matter what, I would certainly enjoy it more than Pioneer. I would agree with that. So I don't know. I don't know if that tells you anything, if that's good or bad, but it is what I it is. I think it's a low bar. Yeah. But. Yeah. Pioneer is one of those. It feels weirdly similar to Pioneer, where like on the surface, like it looks balanced, right? No deck is like egregiously overrepresented, but like everything just kind of feels like soup. Yeah, and again, I don't know, just everything got banned, and then there's modern where it's like, well, maybe a few things more need to be banned or unbanned, whatever. Uh, honestly, I was looking at like the Pioneer ban list, and like some of that stuff is comical too. Yeah, I have not looked at that one in quite a while, but... Um... <laughs> so, okay, so th the reason I got here onto the Pioneer ban list is because I was thinking about how for the longest time Grease Fang needed like a, a good mid-range sidestep and then they got shielded. So now you actually have a good functional way to sideboard into a mid-range deck, right? And then I was like, well, wait, now the decks are also like playing Traverse, which, you know, facilitates you finding your one or two copies of Shieldred. And I was like, now there are also a lot of decks where Emrakul the Promised End would be good. And I was like, why aren't, Why have I not seen a single person playing an Emrakul? 
And it's like, granted, yeah, a lot of people bring in graveyard hate against you, but it's like, well, it's still kind of like shuts down the whole traverse for shielded plane anyway. So that's kind of weird. But I mean, you have like all the card types, right? So casting an Emrakul wouldn't be that tough. So it's like, ah, oh, I don't think it's banned, but like, what the hell? So I just went and looked, and it, I don't know. It's funny. Yeah, probably a good card to have banned if you ask me. But uh, I'm with you on like, I don't think I could name the Pioneer ban list off the top of my head or even close to it. So the the Pioneer ban list, two cards specifically were very funny to me. I guess maybe even three of them. Although I'm sure people will push back on this third one. But uh, the Pioneer ban list is all made up of things that were banned at a very isolated time in the format when the power level was very different from like another isolated period of time in the format. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Uh, things like Winota. Would Winota would Winota be busted? I mean, probably not. But Winota being good is not fun for anybody. It's not, but I I don't think that Winota is like any more frustrating than like Elf into Kiora into Cavalier into you know thirty mana or whatever, right? Oh, it's not. So I don't really care about that one all that much. It's just like. This, the same kind of like rules apply to the format where it's like you should probably build your deck in such a way where you can kill an elf, you know? Yeah. And uh, like the amount that Shieldred's done to the format, like everyone has to have answers there and Winota dies to all the same things, so. Yeah, so another one, Inverter of Truth. Is that is that a thing that, like, did you ever get to play with this Inverter deck? No. This is not during my era, so I have, I'm foreign to this. Honestly, it was not even that good. Really? Yeah. Everybody talks about it like it was Dark Depths. Yeah, if Dark Depths killed you on turn six and was like very easily disruptible. <laughs> <laughs> it was like kind of a joke. And like granted, a lot of a lot of stuff has gotten like streamlined since then, where it's like the mana bases are much better, for example, it was like kind of a problem for this deck back in the day. And like now there's even a uh, Demonic Bargain, I think is the name of the card, with like Thassa's Oracle deck, where it's like, okay, well, maybe Inverter with like the new stuff would be good, but like the old Inverter deck versus today's decks would just be comical. It would be a meme. Yeah, funny. It's almost like the ban list needs like a timeout space where it's like, for the sake of the short-term future of the format, we need this card to go away, but it, it, it doesn't need to go away forever. Right. And isn't this like how they do it on Arena? Yeah, but... I don't think cards have ever actually come back. Uh, that might be true. But also, I think, I, think, would be... I, I, I think that was the thing that they did so they didn't have to give you wild cards. Yeah, probably. And no, it's not banned. You just can't play with it. It's just in timeout. Yeah, stuff had to be banned. They knew that, but like they had a quota for how many free wild cards they could give you for yeah. the year, and they were already over it. Yeah. So. so like, we'll just make up this this fake rule. Yeah. Uh, the other but, the other card is wilderness reclamation. Yeah, again, not fun for anybody, but I I agree these these cards are not fun. But like, is a lot of the stuff that people are doing in Pioneer fun? You know? No, it's, it's not. like I no. either ban more stuff or unban this stuff. So at I least agree. we have 
at least we have options, you know? Yep. It at least gives us some amount of continuity across it. And I, I, for whatever it's worth, right? I am a big fan in banning things because things aren't fun, not just because something is overpowered or overrepresented. Yeah. And I, I'm happy with that, too. But then they need to ban like five cards. So, yep. And then, yeah, continue doing it. I'd love to see them stir the pot more um, in Pioneer specifically. I still don't think it's super fun. And I get a lot of the same weird vibes from Standard. And I have a lot of the same anxieties of we keep being told by competitive play, we're going to be playing a lot more Standard in the future. And while I'm enjoying it in very small sample sizes, I'm not very convinced it's going to be enjoyable in large sample sizes. Yeah, probably true. But also, we have uh, a new set in a month. So it's true. It's true. Maybe that does something. Also, man, free free the copter. Not not because I don't think it'll be messed up, because it probably would be. But I just so, like the copter. Yo, know, that's a card where the gameplay and all the decks that are good when that card's good, I think are all super reasonable. Like, I want Copter decks to be good. I don't want Wilderness Reclamation decks to be good. Yeah, the the problem is, like, then Copter just, like, goes in kind of every deck, which is yeah, sort of Yeah, diversity, too, it but. does. Yep, it does hammer diversity. I'm with you there. Maybe it should just be a color instead of colorless, but... Well, maybe Arena can fix that, and you can play it at the next historic <laughs> Pro Tour or whatever. Yeah, after we win our qualifier weekend. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. Anyway, that was it. My my little pioneer thing. Uh, maybe play an Emrakul in your Grease Fang sideboard or don't. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, anything else standard related? I'm sure we'll have more on that. No, I, I don't know how much everybody cares, right? I think that, like I said, there's standards going to continue to be a thing when the new for, when the new set comes out. So I think playing it over the next few weeks and then getting to look at the new set from a standard perspective is going to be kind of the first time a new set has a big impact on things, at least from my own personal perspectives in quite a while. So that'll be fun and interesting. How do you feel about vampires? I, I don't even, I, I, are they a thing? Kind like of. Like in general, like Halloween vampires? Or are we talking? <laughs> I guess, yeah, it is, it is October, but uh, yeah. no, maybe the, maybe the ones that like twinkle in the sun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a three and a half year old, right? So vampires and what are they is a is a common conversation that I have throughout the day. <laughs> it's just what are they like? Yeah, yeah. Oh, why, why do they drink blood? It's like I don't know. I never thought about it. Um, well, they're they're not real, so you don't have to worry about it. It's fine. Well, yeah, but then when you start getting into reality, that things start to get weird too. Um, but kids are weird, man. They they change your perspective on things quite a bit, but. In a magic sense, I have no. Uh, is there a vampire's deck that I should be more familiar with or aware of? Like, I don't even know what that would look like. No, it's it's like all the bad vampires, but now with the convoke vampire. That's the only reason I'm interested is because one of the the vampire lords has convoke. Got it. So we're on like a vampire watch list for the new set, and uh, it, it's Ixalan. They got vampires so, there pretty high likelihood that there'll be some there just saying yeah and that could be like an interesting dynamic like right it'd be cool if like the best aggro decks weren't just like mono red and blue white soldiers like it's just like very stereotypical or esper rares yeah esper rares is definitely <laughs> yeah um 
yeah, I'd like to see more comeback mechanisms in the format in general. I'd like to see more dynamicness into the rock, paper, scissors, but I don't really know how you do that. Yeah, they they have uh, gone like a, a long amount of years just not printing good control cards. And I think that is kind of biting them now. And you see some of the control decks now where it's like, oh, we're playing like void runs and instant speed divinations and like look at us you know and just like oh my god this is almost as pathetic as pearl like ancient but not yeah. quite how did we get here yeah you go back 20 years and like if you compare it to that like the spells to creature power level disparity it's just like insane yeah so i don't know maybe maybe do something like that yeah i don't know like sunfall seems relatively pushed so I think that's like kind of a tip of the hat. But past that, like Leyland Binding is also really strong. But are there actually other good control cards? Like, Nah, people are playing like Siphon Insight. Yeah. Don't. Actual poo. Anyway, no more standard. Let's, let's talk about modern. You actually, you finished a modern league today. I finished a modern league today finished and not played too is a very important point we got through all five rounds yeah i mean insomnia got me through the last few rounds this morning i'm gonna be real so not sure i would finish otherwise but (laughs) it's still a good sign yeah uh so you know queue up old modern league round one swamp (laughs) herborg (laughs) cabal coffers you one know what all. it is. One and oh. Uh no, I actually lost. That was my that was my one loss in the league. Wow. Um, I I I blew it, to be fair. But I so I started this league when I was dead ass tired. Probably not a good idea. Blew it to coffers, played, played round two, played against rhinos, beat them very easily. Uh laid down for like 45 minutes, couldn't sleep, got back up. Turned the PC back on, sat around for a couple hours, still dead ass tired, but like not tired enough to fall asleep. It was like, all right, let's just hammer out this league, you know. Uh, played against Rhinos two more times. Played against Rhinos three times in, in, in this league, which is kind of weird. Be, so I assume beat Rhinos three times. Oh, yeah. No, I, I beat everyone else I played against. I don't remember the last deck I played against. Honestly, it might have been Rhinos a fourth time. I have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, Playing a list I posted on the Patreon last weekend. I was supposed to take this to an RCQ. Ended up uh, not going to the RCQ. Not no, no real excuse. Um, deck was sleeved. Had all my cards. Was awake. Chose not to leave. I wish I was more surprised. That's it. If I if I knew of literally one other human that was going that I knew that I didn't despise. Then I would have gone, I think. Reasonable. But I don't know. Just like anxiety got me, I guess. But still, I still have my deck sleeve right next to me. I'm just like goldfishing it, you know, instead of like actually going to the tournament and playing. And playing both instead. So you you sent me this four color list and I absolutely love it. Um, You haven't actually talked about it or mentioned that that's what you're playing yet. Do you want to dive into it? Yeah, so little little four color list. Uh, people. So 
My first reaction is Jerry's crazy for whatever it's worth. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, you and everyone else. So I don't know. This. So Mason Clark, after a... Uh, he messaged me and said that he was inspired by our, our discussion on the podcast, which is basically like more of the discourse of like, are you going to listen to like the words that I say that are backed with like facts and logic and experience and, you know, two decades plus of playing magic at a high level or whatever, or are you just going to believe that like someone who five out of league has a better deck? Right. That sort of thing. So like Mason Clark did this poll and it was like, you know, what do you trust more, 5-0 League or or Jerry working on a deck for a week? You know, and it's like, I, I voted for the League. Um, <laughs> Self-deprecating as usual. Continue. Uh, but I, I also just knew that that is, you know, that's what the algorithm wanted me to vote for. You know, I mean, can we replace you, your name in this equation with like somebody that you have a high amount of respect for in a deck building sense? Well, that, that's the other funny part to this is that Mason, when he was messaging, said like, uh, you know, your name is just like stand in for like the average magic pro or whatever. And my response was, I take offense at being called like an average pro magic player. Yeah, that's fair. That's a totally reasonable response. So anyway, the 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 poll last I checked was like 85% Jerry. And it's like, well, clearly that is not how people actually operate in the real world, which is like the other part of this discourse, which is, you know, it's like you're you're making content, right? And it's like, oh, what kind of content do you want me to make the people? What would you click on? What do you want to see? And everyone is always like, oh, hard-hitting matchup analysis. And then you post it, and it's just crickets. No one clicks on it. No one gives a shit. People want to be told what to do, not why. Right, but also when you ask them what they would click on, they lie to you. Oh, they tell you they want to be somebody that cares about the why, but they actually only care about the what. Yes. And they themselves are either not aware of this or, you know, it's, it's just it's better to say that in public. No, right? it, it it's also like, yo, do you want to go to the gym every day? No, which is why I don't. Yeah, but like a lot of people are going to say they want to go to the gym every day, but they actually don't. So like mm. people's actions and like what who they they're they're like voting with who they want to be, not who they are. I, I want to not be unattractive. I would like to be physically fit. I would like to exercise yeah. to a point that it is healthy. No, but if you I, judge I, me I, strictly based on my actions, it doesn't reflect that. Yeah, I, I don't want to do the last part. I don't want to do the actual exercise. That part is not fun for me. Yeah, but if you like pull me, this is why like, you know, everybody owns a Peloton or like some random piece of exercise equipment that they never use is because they want to want to use it. They just don't. Right. So... And I feel like this is similar, like because like doing these things that we're describing requires effort and work and it takes a very deliberate amount of effort to do it. So anyway, you ask people, do you trust 5-0 League, 5-0 League deck or Jerry's advice? And people like, bam, Jerry, not close, 85%. You know, that's that's not surprising. a, A B, a B plus, whatever. And then comes comes down to crunch time, you know people are just copying that 5-0 league list, right? And I am not doing much to work against that by posting this list. That is that is the point I was getting at because this is a four-color Omnath deck without the one ring. Zero copies of the one ring to the point where I post it and my co-host 
Dave Shields says, this is crazy. <laughs> I said you forgot. You uh, forgot one I, rings, dude. I foregore. Yes, <laughs> I foregore. You you are correct. I I did an oopsie. Uh, so anyway, you you play a league with this deck. How'd that go? I, so I, I only went three and two. But I did quite enjoy the deck. And I've been playing. I, I did two leagues with the deck. So I went four, one, and three and two. Um, the so you have you're on four fury, no one rings, much more streamlined than um other lists. Um, the beanstalk sixty is, cards. I guess si- that's a thing we have to note these exactly days. sixty cards, which is also crazy. Um, the other card you're super low on. You were at zero copies for a while, but are now on one is Teferi, which is another mainstay in all of the other lists. Uh, and I'm not married to that. That's that's because it's a blue card. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It helps that like the Rhinos matchup feels like a, a stone cold buy at this point. But um, well, we also we've been point. over this. Like I, I don't even think Teferi is good against them. Yeah, I so I played against Rhinos in one of my leagues and I won very easily. But my I drew the one copy of Teferi and he mis- mystical disputed it and I was so mad. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, I just wish this was a fable. Yeah, um, or like any other card that's not blue. But regardless. Um, the Beanstalk to me felt totally busted and worth every bit of hype that it's getting and just like feels like a game changer for the pitch elementals and this whole strategy in general. Um, Agreed. And then if we like steal the storyline from like the last modern pro tour where like Team Handshake took the Tron deck now that it has one ring and like started from scratch and rebuilt it, it actually got similar vibes from this of like, I don't think enough people since Beanstalk was printed have gone back to the drawing board on how they should build their deck. And they just took the deck that had one ring and just added Beanstalk to it. They did that when the one ring came out. They took the previous deck and they added one ring to it. Yeah, but that made a lot more sense to me. That seems like it fits a lot more. Beanstalk and one ring do so much of the same thing. But they don't so, work together all that yes. well. So this is my point. This Wh- is my which point. Which is the thing that I said two weeks ago or whatever. Yep. Listen, I'm trying to give you some credit here. Um, I think you're on to stuff. And like, listen, I told you this. I, I have some anxieties about like some of the mirror matches or like other one ring decks where they can go over the top of you. Um, so that, that that might be a place where I might miss it. And you have expressive iteration in the slot where most people have one ring. Yeah, four copies. So that's one of the other changes. No one to fairy, zero to one to fairy, no one ring, four expressive iteration, four furies. Um, it, it it felt a lot smoother than every other four color list I've played. And um, I have all of the cards on the way to me and I took my creativities out of the sleeves. <laughs> Hell yeah. So um, I'm with you. Um I want the one ring to be good because of how like I've been on the losing side of it for so long. I kind of just want to get people. I mean, I also just pay like $50 each for mine. Yeah. You know? So Same. tell me about it. Same. But I, mean, um, I, I just bought creativities for like $25, played them for half of a tournament. And then also when I was going through my cards, I, I did some card sorting over the weekend. I found three copies of creativity. I, I don't know if that's a win or a loss. I, it is, I mean, it's technically a dub, right? It's sunk cost, but it, I, I still feel like a jackass. Yeah, it feels like a loss. Right. Um, I thought you were going to say you, you filed the creativities away and then not going to use these in the near term. Um, yeah, but, all seven of them that I have now. Yeah. 
that's fair. Uh, maybe we'll use them in Pioneer. Um, who knows? I, I think that deck's even worse there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but regardless, um, I really like where the list was at. Um, a lot of the I got rinsed by Tron, which we've talked about. Like you know, we're probably a little low on the Tron hate, and one of the reasons to play Tron is to beat up on decks like this. Um, and I had near perfect draws versus them, and still lost handily. I I also lost to Tron in one of my leagues, and uh, it, it was the only one I played against. So like there's there's that aspect of things, right? Is like people are just not playing in a bunch. And even if you look at uh the challenges, there are a lot of like charmaws and sideboards and not a lot of Tron in the top 32. So I don't know. But uh it doesn't feel like we're skimping too much because you still have like a bunch of Basajus with Ren and then a couple Alpine Moons, which is definitely not enough to like beat them handily or whatever but i'm only down like two tron hate cards from like most people which shouldn't be the worst and i think if i were playing a big tournament i would probably have like a crumble and and maybe something else but yeah it is it is not an ideal matchup that is definitely true yeah um and i i still think there's a good amount of work to go on the deck in general like moving away from the rings frees up a lot of space it doesn't really feel like the games that I was losing, the one ring would ever have played a factor in at all. Um, so that kind of reiterates and reemphasizes that line of thinking. Um, but it gives you a healthy amount of space to play with in the list, even staying at 60 cards. So um, there's still quite a few slots I feel like to be figured out. Right. So my initial concepting of this deck was Beanstalk is cracked. It is the best engine for the deck. I no longer want to be doing one ring things for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is that it's kind of slow and like you do want to play four copies. Like you could certainly like shave a copy if you wanted to, but like having all Omnaths and rings makes your hands very clunky and Delighted Halfling solves a, a, a small portion of that. Um, but does really weird things when you add Beanstalk because then you have like Beanstalk and say you're still playing Halfling, you know, to fix the the four drop glut problem. So you have like Beanstalk, Halfling, One Ring. These are all cards that don't pitch to Fury Solitude. So you have like a, a pretty big problem there. And then if they kill your Halfling, which most decks are capable of doing, then you just have like this gap in between two and four where you just have like nothing to do really which is definitely really painful. So, yeah, like those decks are not built correctly. And I think the ones that are like, you know, cut halfling, um, still playing four bean socks because it's the best. And then, okay, you play four four rings. That's That's fine. That's an okay way to go about doing things. But like, I want my ring decks to also have the halfling in them because otherwise like the ring is pretty slow and you're playing ring and like also still just like having a bunch of cards in your hand. You know, it's like, I want to kind of like empty my hand, then play the ring. Right. Yeah. And then once you have halfling, it put, it almost prices you into Teferi more because you want to have a really powerful thing to do on for three mana on turn two. Yeah. And I mean, so Teferi for three mana, I think is not great at the moment. Like certainly there are Bowmaster problems. There are like all the problems with rhinos that we talked about and stuff. It is, 
one of the weirdo ways that you can kind of like backdoor out of things like Elishnorn in the mirror, if that is a thing that people are doing. So you kind of like lose the versatility of that. It's a card that is like randomly good against like counterspell control decks or if people are playing counterspell in their Omnath decks, uh, which is kind of like popping up a little bit more. It's a bad white card against aggro that you can pitch to Solitude, which is definitely a good thing because otherwise we're just like pitching removal spells to Solitude, which is kind of weird. But yeah, just, all your just, best cards are the ones you pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of weird. But like this is this is a hero list, the one that I have put forth. So that is a, a good way to solve this problem. Which and here is a card that wildly overperformed for me in this. Yeah. And this this is a deck that also has kind of a similar problem where it's like you have Ren and Six and Beanstalk on two, so you have stuff to do on two. And then you have Omnath on four, and then like what are you doing on turn three? And my list has iteration and a couple fables. But also you can just like play Beanstalk on two, buy Kahira on three, Solitude something, untap play Omnath, you know? And I, I think that that curve works out pretty well. But anyway, back to the, the concepting of this. Sorry. Uh, I wanted to maximize Beanstalk because I didn't think Beanstalk and One Ring as engines really worked all that well together because neither of them actually like fuel the pitch elementals so it's it's tough to play both like ideally you just have beanstalk and things that could find more beanstalks right so that's what i did i just i got some iterations i started with four fables also where i was just like i'm just gonna like churn through my deck until i find two copies of this thing and then at that point you're you're just free rolling games it's comically easy to win at that point Quickly, but it is comically easy. Yes. And I mean, there there are definitely games where it comes together early and it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, what a joke. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I beat my opponents usually by like them having two cards in hand and me having seven or eight and nothing being on the board or the board being at parity. Yeah. And that, that's what the one ring does, but... Mercy rules them. Yeah. But at a much slower pace and still requires you to play things in your deck like Teferi to potentially reset it and like more copies of the one ring. And in the meantime, it is like dealing you some chip damage. So you're very reliant on Omnath, like sticking around and getting that, those life gain triggers and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just really weird. It's like the, the decks that you lose to are aggressive red, black X sort of fake mid range decks that are just like chip shotting you and bolting you and whatnot. And then the really big go over the top of you decks like Tron amulet. Yep. I think it took me till the fourth game to be convinced of this whole theory and concept. And I've 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 tried to get myself onto four color and excited about it like many, many times over the last six months. And just like every time I tried it, I was never convinced. And this one got me very quick. But it's always it's it's been so mopey in the past. Yeah. In almost all of the iterations. And now you're you're functioning like kind of like a combo deck where you have this just incredible engine. So yeah. I, I, I want to maximize that engine. I think a lot of people will be like, well, the ring's an incredible engine. It's like, is it though? Like it, it's it's four mana and it's it's pretty slow and like kind of kind of just like kills you sometimes or like leads to your demise because you take three damage from it and then you die to Bowmaster or whatever. Yeah. And like, listen, a lot of people, everybody's like kind of adapted to the ring at this point, right? Um, and it's still like absurdly powerful and really good in a lot of different variations, but 
I was impressed with Expressive Iteration, which is probably a card that people have been sleeping on a little bit since the ring has come out. Agreed. Because it was just like sort of redundant. But I do think with, with Beanstalk, you you just start from scratch again. Yep. And it makes a lot of sense. So and, and like I said, I think there's still a lot to be figured out, right? We still have f- five, six, seven slots in this deck that I think could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I got I got two Fire Eyes, Delorean Revealed, and a Teferi that are mostly there as blue cards that facilitate a couple of sideboard force of negations because Dovin's Veto just kind of sucks. Yeah, and then uh, force of negation, we have the expressive iterations, which lets us play those forces to begin with and even have having some chance at being able to cast them for free. Um, and then I, I think the fable slots are debatable as well. Yeah, initially, like I said, I started with four and it was like, I'm just going to turn through my deck, find beanstalks. But then you realize that when you are very committed to doing beanstalk things, like fable is just inherently very small ball. Yeah, I, I I think I don't know really where to take them, but like the the fact that there's still a lot of options like leaves me like you know very excited about exploring it more, and I feel like there are the tools available somewhere to be able to tweak this to beat different things depending on what you know matchups you want to improve in. Yeah, the the best solution for me would to be find ways to gain percentage points in the difficult matchups that you're able to play main deck. Yeah, because your your cyborg cards are incredible. You have access to all five colors if you want them, and Modern has plenty of powerful cyborg cards. It's just like your main deck is all like Renin Six Beanstalk engine cards, and then a bunch of removal. And then Teferi used to kind of be a hate card, or like maybe you'd see like a couple spell pierces or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's I can't think of anything that is you know, going to reasonably help you against something like Tron or even like the red-black decks, you know, at least not in a different way than the cards that you're already playing. So, uh, yeah, you have a a few ways to take it, right? I like the fact that the Fire Ices and the Expressive Iterations make Ren and Six Ultimate do something more than nothing. Yeah. Um, It's still not the most threatening thing in the world, but um, it is a lot better than where it was before. And like when you lose the, that's kind of the appeal of fable to me too, is that it makes the red and sixes like a little bit more of an engine for the games where you don't have beanstalk. Yeah. And there are definitely matchups where they don't really care that you're red and sixing, you know, and then it's just like, well, fable just being like uh, an actual draw to you at that point makes red and six look really good. Yep. And one of the reactions I had too after seeing this was, oh, if we're if maybe if we're gonna go look at four color lists that don't have rings at all, let's just pretend rings not a card for a minute, um, or at least not one that's gonna be in our deck. Um, does switching Ren and Six to Counterspell, what does that then look like? Right? If our two drops are Beanstalk, Expressive Iteration, and Counterspell, how do we build our deck from there? Um so, that's stuff other people have had a lot of success with recently too. Yeah, so we can kind of go down this rabbit hole of like if you are doing the beanstalk thing and it, it is you, you're doing it successfully, like you have found the second copy, maybe even the third copy, you're popping off. Uh, there, there are a non-zero amount of games where you run into danger of decking yourself, especially depending on your opponent. And finding a way to ensure that you don't lose when that occurs is a mini deck building puzzle that's kind of just like baked into this archetype. And so I have a main deck Endurance, which is fine against a lot of people, but is definitely a card I board out a lot. 
Yeah. And it's, and it's it's something a lot of people are doing too right now, right? That's a pretty yeah. mainstay at this point. Yeah, or, you know, they're playing like more cards or whatever, like sure. But uh, if you are, if you decide that you want to do counterspell things, I don't because I want to be like proactively tapping out using my mana for stuff. Like I would rather buy a Kahira than hold them but counterspell, you know. But uh, I, I was looking into other ways for you to like win the game when, you know, you've gone through three fourths of your deck. And how do I, how do I like lock up this game and also not deck myself? And there are like versions that had a wilderness reclamation or two and like a nexus of fate, which I don't really see how that helps you, honestly, because either you're just like draw discarding the nexus while you attack them repeatedly with a solitude. Like, okay, I guess that beats people who just literally draw dead for three turns or whatever, but like you can't ever cast the Nexus because you're just going to trigger Beanstalk a bunch, you know? Yeah, it doesn't actually work. Yeah, so I don't I don't know about all that, but like you could maybe sell me on like a Beanstalk counterspell Wilderness Reclamation deck. I think that could be interesting and that would be like a different way to like go about building it, you know? Yeah. I more just got to like, hey, if we're like counterspell almost feels like the similar to expressive iteration to me of a card that costs two mana, but that is actually a card I'm fine playing on turn three or four. Yes. But you you like pass the turn with counterspell and then they like they don't play anything. And I, I just especially if you're already like slightly behind. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they drew a bow master, so they just get to like pass their turn or whatever. It's, it just feels devastating for you. I, I agree that it does help you in places like Tron, but I think that it is like so bad against most other people that I don't want to consider it. But if it comes down to it where it's like, oh, like Tron or whatever is maybe a big enough portion where we have to do some main deck stuff about it, then yeah, you could probably talk me into it. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody go like playing the full four furies is something that I've quite enjoyed. I think the amount of different I mean, it's great against scam, um, the amount of Yogmoth decks that continue to persist. Um, having access to the furies makes sense and it's a catch up mechanism. Um, and then is there a way you can play counterspell and fury? Is kind of where my head was going. Yeah, I mean, people are doing it already. Yeah, and that, I, like, I think, like, you know, hypothetically, four Beanstalk, four Fury, four Solitude, zero Rings, and then if we add Counterspell to that, where do we go from there? I mean, it's probably just a lot of the same stuff, like Ren 6 iteration, um, probably not playing Fable, but, like, Fire Ice giving you something to do if your opponent does not play into your Counterspell, I like quite a bit, and also gives you requisite amount of like red cards to pitch to fury and stuff yeah i think where you're gonna kind of come up short is uh white cards for solitude potentially depending on what you're cutting yeah i think there's a it, listen there's a lot to be that can be explored here still and um makes it fun and interesting yeah deck's good deck's also like pretty fun so yeah, and like surprisingly not clunky, I, which was the biggest shock to me. And I think having the full eight pitch elementals really helps with that. Yeah, that's how I build decks, though, is like I remove the clunk. I smooth yeah. it out. Yeah, I get rid of the very time raveler. Get them out. Yeah, add some lands. 
Yeah. Yeah, 24 lands and a Lorien revealed. How about that? Or do yeah. I have 23? 23 and 24 have been the numbers we've been poking back and forth between, but we'll give you 23 and a half with the one of Lorien. Yeah, I have 23 in this one. Yeah. But like f- four iteration and four Ren and six, and also like being stocking and tripping on two. It's like, yeah, you can, at this point, you can kind of start cheating a little. I, I I had a 24th instead of the Lorien, but once I wanted Force Negation, I wanted the Lorien instead. Yeah, I'll say like playing it, like the thing I still haven't quite figured out is like the sequencing on fetching my lands, which is something that I had so nailed with the creativity deck that I still find confusing with this. And like iteration kind of adds to that dynamic where we have like two Besejus, a Plains, a Sacred, or a, a temple garden like there's there's a forest there's a lot of lands that just don't cast iteration and not having a lot of other things to do on turn three that was a pretty common turn three play for me yeah um yeah i mean ideally you go zag off into sacred foundry yeah and then, and then all of your stuff is unlocked but when that doesn't come together it's a little bit awkward and i guess that's kind of where like fable on three sort of like cleans things up and fixes for you um yep i'll say it too i was a little frustrated that i didn't have a sequence where i could go fetch land fetch land lay land binding and i guess you do you just have to fetch planes what do you mean um like if i want to play binding on turn two off of two fetch lands i either have to like shock myself or fetch a planes no you don't you just fetch foundry first oh you just blew my mind uh, this this works with Lorien revealed too. We're like just blew my mind. Like okay. if you have one fetch and Lorien revealed, it might kind of seem like you can't like binding on two while also getting Zagoth Foundry, but you get Foundry first cycle for the Zagoth. Uh, I will virtually guarantee you that I've paid at least two extra life at different points throughout the last two leagues I played, not realizing that. Yeah, it's kind of weird because you think like fetch the triumph first. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, fetch the triumph first, but also like it, it makes you think that you want your triumph to be white. Right. Yeah. But then like you you almost certainly want your triumph to be green. And then if you have uh like green, white, black triumph, you have Indotha, for example, then you can't play iteration at all. Yeah. And then that's why people do things like play a second triumph, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. It's weird. You have a deck that has like 20 red cards, but you're really a bant deck. Like your bant, your mana base is bant, right? You have flooded strand, windswept heath, misty rainforest as your fetches. So yes, I like part of this is like to have enough islands to island cycle for Lorien. But at that point, it's like, well, if I have like double blue, shouldn't I just be like maybe casting the Lorien potentially? Yeah. Um. Part of it is, well, if you're playing against a Blood Moon deck, you'd rather have basic island, so you could go, like, Force Island Plains and then still have Mountain to cast Omnath. Yeah, the lack of Mountain makes total sense. But did you look at this this Scion of Draco list that I tried? I haven't stared at the mana base for long. And Scion of Draco is a card that I... You you would have to... It would take a lot to get me to register for that, that card for a tournament. It's not a good card, I'll tell you that much. But I tried I tried two copies in like a slightly 
updated list, which Scion means you can't play Kahira. That sucked. But since you're not playing Kahira, it meant I, I could pretty easily play Charmaw, so I had like more Tron hate. Um, but I swapped over to a Naya mana base. And originally when I concepted the deck, I had a Naya mana base as well. Interesting. And so you now, cut the island. Yeah. And I also cut the stomping ground. Hmm. And I have I have two triumphs because there were instances where if you have two two of a certain fetch, maybe you can't set up like Zagoth plus Foundry because like not all the fetches get both of them. Yep. And now we're 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 off Lorien revealed, but we're up to twenty four land. Yes. All right. So the the Scion list I, I was the one I was talking about where I I went four and one. Um. But I, I do not recommend it. It is kind of nice to have like more proactive things to do with Beanstalk. But end of the day, honestly not convinced that Sign of Draco is better than like Hooting Mandrels. Yeah. So take that for whatever it's worth. It looks a lot like Hooting Mandrels. It's like kind of worse, honestly, because like if you don't explicitly have all five colors, the card is so bad. Can we play a Murktide region in this deck? I mean, you could, but again, I, I think that like Hooting Mandrels would be better. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously it, not in the Naya mana base, right? But if we go back to the Lorien Revealed version. I mean, yeah, but get... So this is kind of my problem with Counterspell 2, and especially if you're trying to like play Binding on turn 2, it's so much easier to assemble like ABC mana than like AA mana. Yeah, double colored of a, a double cost of any color is like huge. Yeah, you're, you're talking about like how tough it is to cast expressive iteration sometimes. <laughs> Try that with counterspell, buddy. <laughs> yeah. See what happens, you know? Yeah. Maybe it should be just be mana leak at that point. Right. Well, it's like they, they tron up and then play like Karn the Great Creator, and it's like great. You yep. Know? And this is back to like the two spell pierces that you had back in your original list with halflings, right? Yeah. It's probably how you got there. Yeah, it's like actually castable. And could do things like, you know, play Teferi and still have reasonable interaction up against something like Rhinos. Still a lot to explore. I'm excited about it, though. And I think you're on to something. I, I think this version is good. Um, so have you seen it? Have you have you seen a single other list that doesn't have the one ring? Uh, a, a person in our Discord, like, posted that they cut ring when Beanstalk came out. Okay, but that's about it. I have not, and I like, to be fair, like, I don't. That was not something I was deliberately looking for because it was just like not even on my radar. But no, I'd be why, interested. Why would you cut the one ring? It's like. It's like fifty dollars. It, it, it's the best card, man. It should be banned, right? That's what right. everybody's saying. Exactly. It's like I'll just I'll ban it myself. Yeah. I just won't play with it. Yeah. yeah, there's we got some work to do. Uh so you're gonna be gone this weekend, but like you're you're at a work thing, but presumably are your nights free? Uh there's like night events, but like usually you get back to the room at seven or eight, which means I have an hour or two to wind down. But I'm again, I'm like uh Typically, when I travel for things like this, I'm lo- I'm no laptop mode, so I'm like strictly arena. So I'm on standard yeah, this week. Okay. And that's like, that's fair. 
so next week, can we get some some moto time? Yeah, we need we can, to. We can jam like garbage ring four color against whatever the hell my four color deck looks like, and make sure we got the mirror covered. Yeah, make sure it's not complete crap. And like, given my experience from like playing against people, it doesn't seem like it. You know, but yeah, like we talked a little bit about this before we jumped on, right? Of like, if if you're playing against somebody who knows the dynamics of the matchup and how to like really preserve any amount of answers they have to ring slash beanstalk, whether you know that means not playing your Basaju, not exposed, not playing your Renin Six on turn two, which might sound psycho. But um, not exposing it to a fury or a way to get prismatic ending or something so that you can return a Besaidu with it later, because those are the things that actually matter in these very long games. It's like an interesting place to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And like all, all of my lists are going to have a force of vigor in the sideboard because I want to bring it in specifically in the mirror match. So, yeah. You even had it in the main deck at one point. I did, and then I was like, this should just be a, like another Besaju, and it's like the same thing. But like, I'm not completely against a Force main, honestly. Yeah, which is funny because I think that card is like at its an all, pretty close to an all-time low in sideboards to begin with since it's come out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I also like, you know, you can lose the hammer, you can lose the amulet. Yeah. Uh, like scales. Scales, I think, is like actually pretty good. Yep. Nobody plays it still, but I would agree with you. Uh, it's number nine on Goldfish. Yeah. Okay. That's probably as high as it's been in a very long time. Yeah. But the, to, to me, like the people that play scales in real life are going to be like, you know, the scales people. Oh, yeah. No, they would have to be. I So scales is a deck that I never played a bunch with because it was like still kind of meme even when it was quote unquote good. Yeah. And now I, th- now I think it's legit good and it's like, Oh, should I like maybe try and learn this? I don't know. It's like, to be fair, the matchup against four solitude Four fury does not seem good, but yeah. Oh, I got paired against Merfolk. That was okay. one of my rounds. And I got very excited. Like, oh, I have four Furies in my deck, and I was got to play against Merfolk, and that was like one of the first times that that's happened to me, and it was as enjoyable as I imagined it would be. Okay. No, that, that matchup has actually been kind of tough for me, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah, I played it a couple times. Okay. I just drew a bunch of Furies, so. Yeah, cool. Probably has something to do with it. Yeah, I, certainly you lose against them when you're like, choked on mana basically and like don't get a chance to play all your spells and like the, the pitch cards are just the best possible cards against the the random tempo cards so yeah, yeah it's, it's great yeah like i think i had a fury that got subtleteed and i was just like great like i'll just do it again next turn right like and the abundance of red cards to be able to pitch helps with that a lot um the fact that iteration can be pitched to it whereas the ring wouldn't be able to helps a lot yep just um yeah, I think there's a lot of small ball gains to be said here that we get from a lot of the changes, and I think they make a lot of sense. Wow. So you thought I was out of my mind. But for whatever it's worth, like, I was excited you're out of your mind, okay? I wasn't like, you're nuts. This is like Golgarian standard, which is, I wrote you off a little bit there. I'll give you that one, right? But this was like, a, oh, I can't wait to try this. Yeah, so you were initially attracted to Esper and Standard. 
Golgari is like Esper, but uh, not as flimsy. Fair. You know, so it's like we're, we're kind of doing the same thing, but you're just like, oh, like, look at my Esper engine deck where if I have like four specific cards in play, I'm like really, really cooking. It's like, well, it's not really how the games play out. And you just hadn't played the games and got like yeah. dismantled every time. Hey, like, listen, standard, I'm coming from a much different perspective where like I haven't really played games with any of the decks yet. Maybe minus like my RC testing from like whatever that was almost a year ago now. I guess it was six months. Well, yeah, I mean, di- different cards were legal then. Yeah. And I played it like, listen, I got slowly got onto Rafine during that because I just kept losing to it repeatedly and got so frustrated. And I was just like, I'm playing this card. It is a good card, but I don't know. Now just attack people with like a three, two and like play a turtle, and get a land. Just uh, spoon them to death. Yeah. What are they going to do? Go for the throat? All of your like terrible cards? <laughs> I, I Listen, I thought that 3-2 was just Tenacious Underdog V2, right? But it's clearly quite a bit better than that. It is, yeah, because I, I think this might change, but people irrationally do not want to like kill it or trade with it because they're just like, oh, they're just going to get it back. And they don't realize that it's just like such a significant tempo loss to do that where if if my thing dies on turn two i'm like no chance in hell i'm ever like adventuring that thing from yeah the you know yeah that's fair they're just like not going to cut down it because they just don't think that's a positive card trade when they don't realize it's all about tempo yeah my hand would have to be like very specific and weird like granted it has happened it's non-zero but it's just like that is not where i want to be and i think people are eventually gonna figure it out maybe probably hopefully Fair. All right, man. Play play some standard this week as much as much as you can. Uh get get that like silver level experience. Uh bring that back to me. And then I'll continue just doing deranged things in modern and we'll see where I end up. Sounds good. And we'll last chance in this weekend, maybe. Look yeah. at us playing a bunch of arena. Who would have thought? Well, I tried playing some limited on Magic Online. Didn't go great. I didn't like it. Not as fast. Not as snappy. Couldn't do it on your phone. Couldn't do it on my phone either, yeah. Or from the pool. Yep. All right. That's it. Game, game, game. Good luck.